You're taking this too seriously, Seb. It's, I'm very professional. You've got a slight problem, I think. Right, fine. It's just like being on the BBC. It is. Yeah, They're always stuff. arguing with each other. So, hello. Welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast. I am your host. I'm still alive. I'm Ian Lobbs, freelance game developer based in the Cornwall of England, of the UK, I should say. Never say Cornwall's in England. Don't say that. Why not? Right. It's uh, it's people don't like it down here if you say that. Don't they? They'll, bur- they'll burn your house down. They yeah. certainly will. And I'm Seb Lee Delisle. <laughs> I'm a digital artist based in Brighton. You can find out more about me at seb.ly, seb.ly. Um, and today we're really pleased to have our very special guest, Eben Upton from the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Welcome, Eben, and thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you for thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for putting up with the, the, the last hour of IT nightmare. That I've well, you know what? It wasn't just you. Like I, I, I connected to Ian about half an hour ago, and I was just getting like super fuzzy, <laughs> low bandwidth, Cornwall speed internets off him. Let's uh, introduce our guest. So... Eben, are you? Is it right in saying that you are the founder of Raspberry Pi? I'm a founder of Raspberry Pi. But you did like design it, and I, made... I, I didn't design the I didn't design the board. I was on the okay. I was on the team that designed the chip that's used in the Raspberry Pi. But the, the board was designed by Pete Lemus, who's one of our other founders. Now I know nothing about sort of electronics and circuit boards and things. So when you say designed the chip, what what sort of chip are we talking about? So if you look at a Raspberry Pi, in the middle there is a little twelve by twelve millimeter square bit of black stuff. Uh, that's the essentially two chips. It's a memory. You have a memory chip on the top, and then sandwiched underneath that, where no one can see it, is the chip that I worked on, uh, and that's what provides you with your multimedia and your processing capabilities and your USB and your uh, all of the all the things basically a Raspberry Pi can do is in that little twelve by twelve uh, millimeter square of stuff. Right. So it's like the, it's the CPU and the graphics processor. Absolutely, it's what we call an applications processor. Right. And why does it need one of those and not just like off the shelf sort of parts. Why did you need to design a new chip? Oh, I mean, this is an off the shelf part, right? This is an off the shelf cell phone chip from Broadcom. Uh, so, yeah, we, we designed this chip because my job is to work for Broadcom designing cell phone chips. Um, it just happened that the chip that we designed was very well suited for what we were trying to do with Raspberry Pi. Okay, so that's that's a sort of a coincidence in a way. I should I should put some air quotes around that. Just happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what a shocking stroke of luck. So I was trying to figure out, like, your relationship with Broadcom and what you did there and how that sort of fitted in with Raspberry Pi. So I guess that's kind of... Yes. <laughs> Okay, so let's have another question. Uh, for people that don't know anything about Raspberry Pi and what it is, what's the sort of elevator pitch for it? It's a $25 credit card size computer for children. So, uh, well, for children of all ages, as it turns out, uh, including some people of my age. But uh, uh, yeah, the idea is we're trying to get kids to code. So we're trying to give kids that computer they can put in their bedroom, like we had ZX Spectrums and BBC Micros. Uh, it's the machine you have in your bedroom and you program for four hours a night and then you pop out the end of computer program. It's it's really interesting because I mean I find the idea that you need a new bit of hardware to get people to code. I find that an sort of non-obvious idea. Can you sort of tell me the the thinking behind that? Well, quite simply not everybody has a computer. Uh, not everybody has a programmable computer. So increasingly what we find is people have special purpose non-programmable hardware. So things like games consoles, tablets, 
uh, machines you can use to consume but not produce. Uh, and there are a lot of PCs out there, um, but not by no means everyone ha has one. By no means every child has one. Even in households where there is a PC, often it's the family PC, and it's this thing that you're not really supposed to, to mess about with any more than you mess about with the family car. So this is supposed to be, because it's so cheap and powerful, it's a uh, it's kind of a consequence-free uh, environment for kids to, uh, to learn to program in. I do think that's really important. And obviously, I think... Eben, well, I think I'm a little bit older than you, actually, but same sort of era. How, wasn't how, it, old, how old? How old are you? <laughs> I, I am you, 41. Not, okay, you you are a little older than me. Yeah. You're, you're not a lady, so it's, it's it's perfectly perfectly acceptable for me to ask you that question. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I guess it is. Um, as long as as long as you thought I was younger, that's fine. Um, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I am 34 and 51, 50 seconds. So. Yeah, but I think you started when you were a bit younger than me. I didn't get started till I was about 11. I think you were eight, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, estimates vary. <laughs> yeah. estimates, estimates vary I would say probably not much younger than 11 9 or 10 maybe yeah yeah sure and so so presumably obviously you had access to these computers and, yeah. and back then computers were just a, a blinking cursor weren't they yeah and it was no big deal to have a computer in your bedroom that you could program uh, and uh, which it really is today so so we're trying to undo that and, and wasn't part of your um, motivation to do this was that you were noticing a drop down in computer science students right at Cambridge where you worked yeah we um we went from having about six times as many computer scientists as we need to having about uh, three times as many computer scientists as we need and that doesn't sound too bad right but but it is it really is because you want to have you want to have a choice right and more importantly once you've chosen you want the people who you've admitted to to, to know what they're doing on day one you know we're still finding our 80 or 90 staggeringly you wouldn't believe these kids you know staggeringly bright uh, 18 year olds to come and study at, at cambridge but you know we do have to teach them i think things that we didn't used to have to things like what how to program <laughs> little that... little little unimportant things like how to program. what we used to have to do what we used to have to do 15 years ago was we used to have to convince people they didn't know everything you know we used to have to beat them over the head with standard ml with functional programming yeah uh, and, and and brutalize them and make them make them make them cry so uh, i guess it's easier now because they actually don't know anything yeah so absolutely to... <laughs> so so you know on some on some level that saved us on some level that saved <laughs> 10, 10 weeks of, of of brutalizing 18 year olds so that's that's kind of that's fun it's interesting because it's been a very subtle sort of every year you have to do sort of less on your computer. Like I grew up slightly after the era of programmable computers. Like we had a Commodore 64, but I was sort of too young to, that was sort of type packed into the loft by the time I got to the age to use it. But I still had to do DOS. So I still sort of was typing stuff into my computer. And now like people aren't even doing that. So, and I think without like without DOS, it seems so stupid, but just that typing CD, whatever, and having to learn these commands. Like I see that as the basics of when I learned programming. Yeah, yeah, you have to choose on some level, you have to choose not to program these machines, right? You, you know, the, the first thing you can do with them is type a program into them. You can type a shell script into uh, into just about to DOS. Uh, you can type, you know, you can on your basic computer, you can type 10 print something really filthy and 20 go to 10 and build the screen up with filth. Uh, and that was, which was highly motivating for, so, a, for a nine year old. What's your opinion on sort of tablet computers and things like that? Do you think these are sort of a terrible, terrible thing? I think I think they're they're wonderful. I bought I bought Liz. So my wife Liz works for. She's downstairs at the moment. Um, uh, she um, she she works for. Um, she works for the foundation, so she does our, our social media and our, and our press. Um, and I bought her an iPad, you know, the latest shiny iPad, the, the Retina one with the fast processor uh, for Christmas. And it's an amazing piece of hardware. It's, it's amazing in every way. Uh, I, I, but you can't program it. So mm. 
uh, I would not want to be without uh, um, uh, an iPad. Um, that's particularly one that isn't mine, so I don't need to worry. About it. <laughs> um, so I would not be I'd not be without an iPad, but um, uh, I'd also want to have something I can program on. I'd hate it if we ended up in a world where those were the only computing devices. Mm. And what do you think of? Okay, so sort of related question: What do you think in terms of programming languages? Like, which which one did you imagine the Pi being used for, and, and is that what's happened? We let's see. We thought Python. Uh, and to some extent, I think that is what's happened. I think we're still actually in very early days um, with respect to, to having children, uh, to, to having children um, learn to program on the device. A lot of them are going to adults. Um, but we've got, you know, a couple hundred thousand in the hands of kids. And um, what they're tending to do, actually, is they're doing an awful lot of, of they're doing an awful lot of Scratch. There's a, a language called Scratch. Uh, they're doing a lot of Scratch programming. The older ones are doing some Python. I think the ones who are interested in doing interfacing, and that turns out to be a big thing for kids, they're using Python because Python's got the good bindings to connect to, uh, to connect to the GPIOs. So, yeah, and Python's wonderful because it's got that, you know, the Hello World program in Python is print Hello World. The Hello World program in Java is public, static, void, main, string, args. <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> system.out.println, hello world. Yeah, and, and the problem with that, and that's all fine, and, and you have access to an enormous amount of power, but what it means is the first thing you have to say to kids is, uh, hey, here's some magic. Don't worry about what this stuff means. Six weeks' time, we'll tell you what the magic means, and kids hate that. Um, yeah. so, so having a language which uh, starts off as print hello world, and which goes all the way up to, to being a professional programming language, which you know, Google write a big slab of their software in, in Python, is, um, that's really appealing. And you can tell a great story to kids about that. And there's never, a, there's never any voodoo, and there's never any kind of falling off the... There's never a point where they kind of stumble and fall off the curve. You know? That's great. And does, does Python sort of handle visual stuff as well? Can you, like, put a... An object on the screen. Yeah, so um, really, really, very simply. So we have, uh, we actually do have Python bindings for the uh, for the graphics library for the three D graphics core on, on the device for the GL bindings. Uh, but a lot of people just use use Pygame, and I think you can get a long way down the road uh, towards towards write, writing some entertaining software just using Pygame. That's cool. Yeah, because I mean, this is like an issue that I have to think about all the time with yeah with my university students and like the way we introduce them to things like. I mean, me and Seb both do quite a lot of JavaScript stuff, and I think that's great. But the the problem with and like Hello World in JavaScript is just like alert, Hello World, <laughs> like great. But the problem is like you want to do certain things with JavaScript because of the security model of the browser. It's like you you have to be running through a web server to get the things to work, and that's true of a lot of languages. I think it's like Hello World is is run your own web server on your computer, but, but less so these days with Node, right? And I think they've even got Node running on Raspberry Pis, right? Hmm. Yeah, I, a lot of people seem to use Node. I, I don't really know anything about. It. I, I I went through a, a couple of weeks of, of learning a lot of JavaScript uh, a little while ago, and uh, I'm not able to share a URL, am I? Because I can show you what I did in in, in JavaScript. I'll show you my idea of JavaScript programming, which is a real disaster. We can we can add it to our um, to our description. Okay, so um, Evan, going back a couple of. I don't. I can't remember how long it was. A year or two years when you sort of first launched, there was an incredible demand for the thing, probably more than you expected. Just want to talk about sort of what happened there. Yeah, we um, we, we had kind of an interesting experience. We um, we thought we were going to sell a very small number of these things. Yeah, we thought these were going to be interesting to. Well, we thought they were going to be interesting to us because we could give them to kids who came to open days. And we had this kind of this really naive. We were trying to solve this little problem at Cambridge, and we had this really naive model of what we were going to do. So we thought, well. Well, uh, yeah, if we can get another 250 applicants a year, or we can get the ones that we take to know a little bit more about programming, then, you know, that would be a good thing. So we thought, why don't we make a few hundred of these 
And when people come for open days, we have open days in June and interviews in December, we can give everyone a free computer uh, in June. And then when they turn up in December for their interview, we can say, what did you do with the free computer we gave you in June? And if they say nothing, then we probably don't want to admit them to read computer science at the University of Cambridge. Um, you know, that seemed like a, it seemed like it was a little plan. And all of our all of our ideas around how to do this was scaled around that around that goal. Um, and then we just uh, we, we we just found there was a lot more interest. That the interest was measured in the tens of thousands, and then we found it was measured in the hundreds of thousands. And that for a little organisation, we're a charity and we can't raise money. Um, it's kind of that's kind of an intimidating it's an intimidating prospect. So I think a lot of the last year was about how we. It's really the story of how an organization with, I think we had about a quarter of a million dollars in the end, how an organization with a quarter of a million dollars ships a million computers in a year, uh, which was kind of hard, hard work. 25 cents per computer, our capital covers 25 cents per 25 cents per computer, which is um, was challenging. <laughs> That's insane. So how many of you sort of shipped so far? Uh, north of a million now. So I think we were saying a million a month ago. Uh, looking at the run rate, it's got to be at least 1.1 now. Uh, I would think probably closer to 1.2. Uh, one thing that's happened over the last few weeks, they've become very popular in the US. Uh, oh, good. There's been a, I, the US has been a big market for us for a long time, but if you think about it, it's five times as many people as we have in the UK. So um, uh, becoming popular in the US can be a very traumatic thing for a supply chain. <laughs> Um, and, and at the moment, it's just a matter of working very, very hard to, to try. And we've got another step, I think, over the last few weeks in terms of shipment rate. I mean, even even with the UK and the US, you're bat- barely scratching the surface, surely, of like the, where the global demand for this thing could be, right? Because who doesn't, who wouldn't want a, a twenty-five dollar computer? Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, the market is uh, everyone. Um, but so, so. We, we've got good strength in the UK and we, we've had enormous amounts of support from, from the mainstream media in the UK. I think other countries, what tends to happen is we, we get some visibility through the specialist press uh, and then at some point we break through into the mainstream media uh, and that's the point at which you really start to see significant numbers of sales. So I think we've been strong in uh, in Europe uh, from, from early on, very strong in the UK, now strong in the US. Um, where, where we're not strong, South America, oh, we'd love to be selling more in South America. Uh, India, China, kind of ironically, given that at least historically we built these things in China. Uh, yeah, those would all be good good places to be. Africa would be it's obviously a very challenging place to try to um, to try to distribute these, but somewhere where we think there's real value. It's it's a really British computer, isn't it? And weren't you totally inspired yeah. by the BBC Micro? Which you know, I'm, I'm very yeah. heartened to hear that you've um, started to make inroads into America because obviously mm. the BBC Micro was a huge thing here, and mm. obviously great British computing back in the eighties, and uh, but yeah. virtually no one else in the world has ever heard of them. And so, yeah. you know, I guess it's good to see the Raspberry Pi sort of breaking out of that British uh, yeah. confines. Uh, yeah, the uh, I have a localised version of my talk. I have a fairly standard talk I give about Raspberry Pi. I have a localised version in, in North America. And the two big changes are uh, swap the BBC Micro for TRS-80 and, uh, swap, <laughs> and, and add an S to the end of the word Lego. Um, oh, no. So, yeah. no, don't do that. We've had Lego, official Legos. word from Denmark. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's Lego. The Americans yeah, are wrong. Uh, and it's fine because what I can do is I can take the end, of, the S off the end of the word maths and put it on the end of the word Lego, and, and everyone's don't everyone's... pander to them, Eben. <laughs> they got to learn. <laughs> yeah. So, weren't you originally trying to make it like a BBC Micro Model D? <laughs> yeah. That's, 
Yeah, we so we, we kept talking to the BBC and we, we would love to have we've I think we with Raspberry Pi we've ended up with this really nice brand now. Uh, yeah. but we didn't really want to have a brand. We just wanted to we, we just wanted to stick a BBC sticker on it. Um, and it turns out the BBC can't do that for a bunch of reasons. But that was kind of the point I think back in May twenty eleven we had a bunch of meetings over two or three years with the BBC trying to convince them this would be a good idea. Well and what what are their re- what are their reasons? Because I heard a talk where you said this bunch of reasons and I'm Well the I mean the, the, the obvious reason is that they're a state funded organization, right? Right. Um, so they they're, they're part of the government. Um, and the government in the EU is not supposed to go around competing in arbitrary, subsidising competition right. in arbitrary uh, in arbitrary areas. So you know, you can't. I don't think that. I don't think that. I say whenever I say this, it always comes out very very inflammatory. But I just brilliant. I, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just what we want. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying not to be inflammatory this time. I just don't think that the um, the BBC feels it has any business, justifiably, doesn't feel it has any business going and competing in the computer industry. And people complain when the BBC goes and competes in the magazine industry, right? Uh, this yeah. is a very common. Well, I mean, also, they were burnt quite recently, weren't we, with, with the kangaroo, I think it was called. They they were burnt with, there was a, there certainly was a project that, that happened a few years ago that the BBC got to, a, I think, to a to quite an advanced state of completion and, and then found it couldn't, it couldn't. Yeah, for competition. Oh, that was yeah. the e-learning thing. No, oh, the thing I'm thinking of is like a like a Hulu. Oh, really? Yeah, and it it went against competition rules. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the end, in the end, it wasn't going to happen. But we did by talking to the BBC a lot. You know, we 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 we, we learned a lot about you know what we could do. Uh, and of course, you know, the last person we went to see was Rory. We went to see Rory Catherine Jones in May of 2011, and we asked him about this, and he also he told us the same thing we'd heard from everyone else. Uh, and then that, but he took a video of one of my fellow trustees holding up a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. It was really that that, that, that kind of kicked off our first little batch of interest yeah cool what i was going to say was um what was great about the bbc micros was that it was a whole culture went with it It wasn't just the machine like there were tv shows on tv on national television prime time that told you how to program it yeah yeah so can we get can we get that back as well or not <laughs> um that's interesting there was a real um there's a wonderful report by um nesta funded report by a lady called tilly blythe at the um uh, at the science museum that is kind of a retrospective sort of 30 years on looking at the not just the bbc but the whole computer literacy project like the bbc computer literacy project that the micro is part of um and yeah it was this amazing infrastructure of printed material and um television material that kind of that really supported it and of course the interesting thing about the bbc micro is that i i used mine as a child and so i kind of imagined that the bbc micro was a machine for children uh, what's really interesting about that from that report is that you see that it wasn't a lot of it was about adult education a lot of it was about reskilling people who were in these sunset industries and who were mm. going to be on the dole and you know how do you how do you find when you've got all these miners who aren't going to be mining coal anymore what do you find for them to do next uh, and that's and that's a really that's that's kind of been interesting for us because it's brought to our awareness the fact that a lot of our a lot of our thinking was based on this kind of false this false premise and that there's somewhere else that dealing with adults is uh, is something that's happened before and, and that we should try and do ourselves mm-hmm. i mean i think that's very relevant now because like we've got a tory government again it's we're back to the 80s in a lot of ways the, the economy is going through similar similar things um you know so pete I, I think i i think this is a huge issue like i think that we we do have a shortage of sort of programmers and I think that it, it's almost easier to get people 
adults to learn this stuff than than like school leavers. Well, the nice thing is if you get if you get adults to learn it, then they're available to work tomorrow. <laughs> um, obviously, school school leavers as well. But you know, given the choice between training, eight, I think that you should train eight year old kids because I think that eight year old kids have very flexible brains and they can learn stuff very quickly and get very very good at it. But the problem is you have to wait ten years before you can employ them. So I think that there is really a place for school leavers and you can, you can and mid career them surely when they're ten. It's fine. <laughs> Well, in yeah, China, you know, it's all right. Yeah, you know, don't, don't say that, Seb. They've got laws. What? <laughs> don't say that. Yeah. It's a joke. It's a joke. I'm sorry. So, no. No, because you know this American life got in loads of trouble for saying that like iPhones were manufactured by children in China, and the whole story was fabricated by this uh, reporter who'd sort of had them on. All right. Sorry. I apologise, everyone. It was just a joke. Yeah, we'd like to point out that, that China do have child labour laws. Gonna be the controver- I thought I was going to be the controversial one. And you're the- Not on this show. Uh, no. <laughs> so, so congratulations for that. You're welcome you're, you're, to drop yeah. some bombshells, though, if you've got any up your sleeve, Evan. I'm not worried about me dropping bombshells. You know? <laughs> we, launch in 10 mi- we launch in 10 minutes. <laughs> to, cre- to quote another uh, right-wing 1980s politician. So, so the other, the other um, thing, the comparison between the Pi and the BBC Micro is that you've put in hooks for hardware, right? It's the GPU, yeah. right? Yeah, well, yeah, modern computers, that's another thing modern computers can't generally do without add-ons. They can't go talk to hardware. They can't make a light turn on. It turns out that's a big deal for kids. You know, moving, I'm a child of the 1980s, so I think moving a pixel around is cool. Uh, and it turns out, actually, that's a lot less sexy than it used to be. But moving a robot around is still exactly as sexy as it used to be. So yeah. lots of the cool stuff we see kids doing with these are, are kind of automation, automation projects. You know, doing things in physical computing. Doing th- Do you want to give us the sort of uh, nerdy, the nerdy specifications for the Pi? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Having worked on the chip. Yeah. Um, let's see. Model B, which is the $35 one. So the expensive Raspberry Pi. <laughs> expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Two USB, two USB ports. Um, 100 megabit Ethernet, HDMI, so we can drive a 1080p display. Composite, so we can drive that display that you scrounged up off your gram, you know. Um, analog audio. Uh, what else? Going around the side. Yeah, SD cards. So we store. One of the interesting things about the Pi is there's not much point in making a cheap computer if uh, you have to go and buy a bunch of other stuff in order to use it. So we've tried to make everything that you need to make it work as kind of scroungeable stuff you can go and scrounge up somewhere. So use a mobile phone charger for the power supply and an SD card to store all the data on. Um, and and then we got this little co- this little chip in the middle, uh, the Broadcom this Broadcom chip that we worked on. Uh, so we got half a half a gigabyte of RAM stacked on top of that, and then a chip that can do can play Blu-ray video, and um, it's got more 3D performance than a, than a PlayStation Two. Uh, so it's a fairly respectable fairly respectable gaming machine. We run Minecraft, which is oh, I was going to ask, can it run Minecraft? It can run Minecraft. So uh, Mojang uh, enormously helpful. They did us a custom port of Minecraft. So there's a, a version of Minecraft Pocket Edition, uh, which runs on the Pi. Uh, and the nice thing about it is it has a uh, it has a programming interface, so you can connect Python or any other language to Minecraft and then change the world from uh, fr- from from Python. The nice thing about that for kids is it gives them a reason to care about programming, right? Because kids love building stuff in Minecraft, and it's incredibly tedious to to build a large structure by going brick 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 brick. And so you can go you can connect to it from Python and go for X in for X in range 10 for Y in range 10 brick and it'll go and build a floor for you. Sounds like quite a good easy route in for yeah. kids, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's and, and you know, people have the you know two, the two line program that you, you you type it in and it builds a kilometer tall Sierpinski fractal um uh, in, in in the world. Which is kind of those things are I think those things are fun, you know. Uh, and they they give like I say a lot of this is about giving kids local um 
you know, sort of short-term reasons why programming is important to them. Because uh, you can't you can't get kids to do stuff by saying uh, people humans are bad at long-term planning. I believe humans mm. are bad at long-term planning. So you you have people in their in their thirties, parents in their thirties, who aren't saving enough for their pensions because that's going to happen when they're twice their current age. Saying to their eight-year-old child, "You better work real hard because you've got exams coming up when you're 16. Uh, and, you, and no one does that. You know, no no one is good. People in general aren't good at long-term planning. If you build a system. Uh, of education or government or whatever that requires people to to do long-term planning, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. So these things in Minecraft give kids a, a approximate reason to do programming. We've got some questions on the internet. Um, first of all, we, well, we had Chris O'Shea, a uh, very well-known digital artist, actually asking about um, Minecraft for Pi. I think you've answered that. Uh, good to see that's happening. Um, question from Jolian Russ. Uh, is do you mind people buying pies and turning them into media center PCs? Yeah, damn you! Uh, every time you every time you do that, a child uh, <laughs> does, does, doesn't die, but certainly dies a little inside. Um, the um, no, the, it's it's great. It's really fantastic, uh, and we don't even mind. We don't mind people buying a thousand pies and uh, at thirty five dollars each, and then building them into some piece of equipment and selling that piece of equipment for a thousand dollars. That's fine too. Mm. Yeah, we, we, as long as they get out there, as long as they're being used, uh, we don't really we don't really mind what happens. I mean, it's certainly a, a really good thing for for the digital art world and uh, installations and, and stuff, yeah. isn't it? Because now it's yeah. like very very cheap computers. Yeah. You know, that's that's cool. The number of the number of installations. There was a wonderful one um, in uh, Canary Wharf, uh, Canada Water. Little little light up boats uh, out across the across the dock. Just absolutely fantastic. And I think you could text it from you could text it from a passing train and make them change color. Very very. Cool. And and each boat had a separate pie in it. I think each boat had a separate light in it. I think it would have been cool. <laughs> there were literally thousands of these little things. Uh, and yeah, that would have been great. That would have been our revenue for uh, you know that, that one installation. That one installation would have been larger than. So, the entire uh, lifetime projections for, for people that have been living in a cave that we've <laughs> we've been talking about a computer but actually the raspberry pi it 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 doesn't look anything like sort of uh, my kids would think a computer is it's a sort of very small circuit board right yeah so it's the size of a uh, it's the size of a credit card almost exactly the size of a credit card not um, quite though uh, and it has no case it has no case, but one of the cool things about it being not quite the size of a credit card is that its width and its height are both multiples of the Lego basis unit size. <laughs> so uh, you can put it very easily if you have some Lego. You can, we didn't. Really, this, we'd love to claim we planned this, but it makes you know, people make wonderful Lego cases for it. There's a girl. There's a Girl Scout, a girl called Biz, somewhere in the UK, who has a Lego case she designed for it, and people buy them online, and she gets royalties for these this Lego case uh, that she's designed, which is payable to her in Lego. So she gets <laughs> she she has this enormous amount of Lego. Now. So, so yeah, there's no case. There's a lot of other people who make cases for them. You get printable cases. You can get um, you can get um, laser cut cases and die cast cases. Um, but yeah, it's it, one of the cool things. It, it, it lets kids see what's inside a computer. Normally, kids never see the. One of the reasons I think why computers have become kind of magical to children is because they can't see what's inside them. And if you can't see what's inside them, what what motivation do you have to find out how they work? And so we, we, we found out when we took them into classrooms, one of the first things that kids react to is the fact they can actually see what it does. And, and they can see it's not really that complicated. Of course, there's, you know, um, 30 million gates inside the chip that they can't see, the 100 man years that went into designing that. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it, conceptually, at least, you can point to it and say, yeah. that's... Nothing, nothing moves on it, though, right? Yeah, yeah no, no. There's no cogs go around. That would be brilliant. <laughs> We should do a cog. We should do a cog-based version. That would be, uh, you know, there's um, there's the uh, Matt Parker, who's one of the spoken nerd people, um, 
who I'm doing a guest slot with in April, little plug there. Um, uh, and he makes computers out of dominoes. Have you seen that? So I haven't. He, but he, it he makes awesome. all of these uh, gates, you know, out of dominoes. So mm-hmm. He arranges these domino runs in such a way so that there are AND gates and XOR gates and all those things. But so that's that, not uh, input. A single bit of input would be like one. Train one like train of dominoes falling down, and, and he does that at various kids' events and stuff. It's absolutely brilliant. Check that out. Um, we've got another question off the internet from somebody who's only known as Elvis. Actually, Elvis, obviously, actually, Elvis, actually, yes. Elvis, because he is off yeah. the internet now. So, yeah, what's the most impressive use of a, a Raspberry Pi you've seen so far? It's a great question, really. I'm sure you've seen some spectacular things, yeah. Um. I'm just going to say the one I always say, which is the balloon one, the the, um, the guy called Dave Ackerman in the UK who sticks them under weather balloons and stands them up to 40 kilometres and sends down pictures while, while he's up there. Yeah, it's just brilliant. Um, I, the, good, the great thing about it is that it's it puts a, a space program within reach, within a budgetary reach of every primary school in the country, which is kind of, and the safety reach, right, because it's just let a balloon go. I, I think you've got to get, you're technically supposed to go and ask the Civil Aviation Administration so that um, uh, you don't kill 350 people on an airline. Uh, airline but, um, but yeah, it means I just defy kids not to be, sorry, I, one of the reasons I am um, uh, wincing occasionally is this thing. <laughs> I think that's the first cat we've had on the Creative Coding podcast. You're on the internet. The internet is about cats. This is Mooncake, yeah. the, uh, the Raspberry Pi cat who wants to go down there. Um, <laughs> The uh, uh, yeah, so so the cool thing about I just defy children not to be excited about science. Yeah. If they can take pictures of the Earth from space themselves, I I just how can how? <laughs> <laughs> see if you, exactly what you think happened just happened. <laughs> For people listening to the audio, no, uh, the audio it. version, <laughs> Evan is getting mauled by the official Raspberry Pi cats. Yes, and the remainder of this this podcast will be conducted one octave higher. <laughs> um, it got a question which sort of leads on from that from uh, previous guest Stacy Mulcahy. Um, is there uh, any potential add-ons? Was there like a new camera that you put out or something like that? Any more hardware? There is a camera. Tell me about the camera because I haven't seen that. So the camera is cool. The camera is a five megapixel um, camera. Uh, it's, uh, it sits on a little ribbon cable. We have a camera connector that's been sitting there idle, just waiting on the Pi for a year. Um, uh, these things, you, uh, you plug them in on, on a six-inch ribbon cable. Uh, they'll take five-megapixel um, pictures, uh, five-megapixel still pictures. Uh, they'll do 1080p 30 um, video recording. We have a video encoder on the chip, so we can, we can compress the video in real time to H.264. Uh, and uh, I think it should be able to do back-to-back full-resolution shots quite fast as well because we have a hardware JPEG encoder as well. We've got loads of stuff on this chip that we've not, <laughs> not been using yet. Um, so uh, so that's going to be great. And those are being built for us in Wales, like the, like the, like the rest of like everything we make. Um, they're, they're being built in, built in uh, Bridgend in South Wales. Uh, and uh, we hope to have some for sale next, next month. Presumably they're going to be nice and cheap as well. Yeah, I think twenty-five bucks is the kind of price that we're we're shooting for. Um, I, the nice thing about that, you can get out of the door with a, a Model A, our cheaper Raspberry Pi, and a camera for fifty bucks, and then say five bucks for a Wi-Fi dongle, and you've got a you've got a wireless uh, you've got a wireless security camera. 
uh, yeah. which given the number of burglaries in my village, I'm kind of wishing I had, <laughs> in the last week, I'm kind of wishing I had that now. But uh, And then take it to space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, 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 so unsurprisingly, Dave, Dave Ackerman has one of, has a camera board, and in fact has a completely integrated, it's all working, it's ready to go. It's incredibly light. I think it's at 140 grams now. Now, now he's got the webcam out of the, out of the setup, it's 140 grams of weight. So Amazing. It's going to be great. The Raspberry Pi, Foundation, Raspberry Pi Foundation is a charity, right? So you're not, like, making a ton of money out of this or anything. It is, like, you can be sure that if you promote this product that you know yeah. there isn't some fat cat guy somewhere sat yeah. on his piles of money you know yes <laughs> so. and i think that's i think that's really important but yeah any money that comes we do make a profit on selling pies they're not a massive one but we do make a little money every time someone buys a pie and the interesting thing about that is there are no leaks in the system you know all of that money can't go anywhere except back into um making more well into into, into making the pie a more interesting platform so whether that's improving the software Doing designing new hardware add-ons, um, making educational support material, lobbying the government to remind them that they need to um, pay some attention to designing a good curriculum and training some teachers. Uh, all of those things. I mean, those are all legitimate things for us to go spend money on. Um, yeah. A Ferrari, a Ferrari for me is not a legitimate thing to spend money on. So uh, maybe so maybe a model Ferrari with a Raspberry Pi inside. That would be that would be fine. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that our auditors would would would, would be happy with that. Uh, yeah. That's so that's the great thing. You know, you can buy you buy a Raspberry Pi. And it does come bundled with a little donation to us. So, yeah, um, which know, is brilliant. And you're getting them into schools through Code Club as well, and there's some Google sponsorship. Do you remember? Um, we had Claire Sutcliffe on a couple of weeks ago, so that's all good news too. So, so what's next then, Eben? What's coming up next? For you got any more plans? I guess just onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Claire at Code Club. So we are going to get a lot of Raspberry Pi's in the hands to kids. We've got a million dollars from Google in January. Uh, that's enough to buy about fifteen thousand Raspberry Pi kits, so including power supplies and SD cards. And um, uh, we're going to get those into the hands of people through our partners, including Code Club, uh, who we think are fantastic, and we, we, we think that. They, they've done an enormous. If, if if we've had a good year, they've had a better year. So, um, mm. Yes, uh, looking, phenomenal. Looking, looking forward to working with them. Yeah, brilliant. What would be the sort of dream scenario for like five or ten years' time for the Pi? Um, more engineers. Uh, yeah, it, it's that simple, really, because because. You know, it's entirely going to be defined in, in terms of the success of the mission. So, um, you know, if we had, we used to say if we had a few hundred more in Cambridge, that'd be great. Um, we we then used to say for a long time, we used to say if we could have another, if we could have another thousand, we used to say then if we could have another thousand uh, engineers here in the UK, that'd be great. I think increasingly as we start to sell these in internationally, if we could have another hundred thousand engineers a year around the world, you know, that's, I mean, that's incredibly grandiose, right? But um, it, that should be achievable. If we get to all kids, uh, how many kids are there of any given age? There are probably what about a lot. There's over 100 million children of any given age in any year group around the world. So if you can get one in a thousand of those, one more than you would otherwise have, that's 100,000 engineers. 100,000 engineers can do a lot of engineering in a year. 100,000 engineers could design the chip in the Raspberry Pi a thousand times over. Um, so, so you could each year. So, so you could. I think that that would be that would be fantastic, and it just sort of feels achievable because I think we've got enormous problems, and we need engineers to fix them. Yeah, brilliant, excellent. Well, on that note, we'll finish it up. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really interesting, awesome. to hear about it, and I'm so pleased that it's doing so well. I just think it's a brilliant um, project. So, yeah, well done, fantastic. and thanks for thanks for joining us. 
Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this is the Creative Coding Podcast. You can find out more at creativecodingpodcast.com. Uh, I'm your host, Seb Lee Delisle, seb.ly. And I'm your other host, Ian Lobb. Uh, it's at I-A-I-N-L-O-B-B on Twitter cool. and ianlobb.com. And also don't forget to um, look for us on iTunes and subscribe because we've, we're having so many great guests and it's a cool show at the moment. So. <laughs> I'm enjoying this reboot, and especially because I haven't had to do half the episodes. (laughs) I've just been able to enjoy them. Yeah, brilliant. Go check us out on iTunes. Leave us a review and some nice number of stars. Five stars, probably? Five, I think. It's it's a good number. It's just like the BBC. Do they they want five stars at the BBC? Yeah, I do. I think they get five stars by default. I think it's the law, isn't it? I guess so. Yeah. Anyway, thanks everyone for joining us. We hope you had fun. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs>